We'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're continuing, of course, our study. Paul's letter to his friend, Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. He left him in the city of Ephesus, at that, at, at basically at the church at Ephesus, and he's going to give him instructions not only to Timothy but to the church. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul said, I, I wrote this so that you'd know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. In other words, he's telling us how we're supposed to, 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 to function as, as a local body. We've seen so much. In fact, as we moved into chapter 4, the issue of false teachers, that became the main thing. In fact, we talked about who are they and what do they teach and how to deal with them. Well, this morning Paul begins to talk again to Timothy to encourage him to live a godly life, to be an example. We realize that, that, that we are to be examples of how Christians are to live in a fallen world. That's each one of us. And do we want others to follow us? And as we look at this passage, I think three things stand out. We're going to see the charge to live for our Savior, Jesus Christ, this idea of being godly. We'll see that charge. It actually goes back to last week. We'll see how that flows. And then he, he talks about teaching truths to others. We'll see that. And then finally, the charge to be an example. So there's a lot there. Now, before we get into it, since we didn't have Scripture reading this morning, I would like to read it for you. We're going to look, look at verses 9 through 12. Let me just start there. First Timothy 4, verse 9. It is a trustworthy statement. Deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. It's a very powerful passage, and we'll see how it fits together this morning. Well, you know, when I was in junior high, we had to take what we back in those days called shop. You know, everybody had to take it. Sometimes it was called industrial arts, and you had to make things. Most of you know that I, I'm not very good on making things. In fact, I broke almost every commode in this building. I can, I can just do that. You know, I, I can break anything. Uh, they made us in those days either make a letter opener or a cutting board. They, they started letting people make letter openers, and then everybody was poking each other, so they cut that out. And they said, okay, you're going to make a cutting board. A cutting board, you know what it was? Well, it was, this, it was like a fish. The guy cut it out, the teacher cut it out, and said, here's the pattern. This is what you got to do. He put it up there, and we are all supposed to go up and look at it. That was the pattern we were to follow. Now, think about our lives for a second. We need patterns, don't we? We need examples. We need someone to follow them. In our lives, there are good examples and bad examples. And people sometimes, in fact, most of the time, follow examples of other people. Who are examples that people are following today? Well, Jennifer Lopez, Bert, Brett Favre, Kurt Warner, even Michael Jordan still. Let's stop and think about our lives for just a second. As believers, do you realize that we are supposed to be examples to others? We're supposed to be patterns of how believers are to live in a fallen world. When others look at us, those of us who have gathered this morning, we've gathered as believers. We've gathered as, as we say, we're Christians. We've gathered together to worship Jesus Christ and to be trained and equipped to serve Him. We've come together. And then when we scatter out in this community, people look at us. And we're supposed to be examples. We're supposed to be a pattern. When people look at us, they're supposed to say, now that, that person's different. That person lives in a different way. That person lives in a good way. Well, this morning we're going to see that Paul stresses to Timothy to be an example. That's verse 12. We'll see more of that. And, and the question could be is, how do you stack up? How are you doing? Some of you in this room say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really too young to be an example of other people. Well, do you think you're too young? David was about 12 years old or 14 years old when he killed Goliath. Daniel was maybe as young as 14 or 15 when he was taken off into captivity and stood for what was right. 
You could say, well, I think I'm too old. I've passed that point. Well, Moses was 80 years old when he led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And Caleb was way over 100 when he said, give me the land. I'll get my people. We'll go take that land. So we're not too young or too old. We're all just right. We're all just right. Let me break down the passage for you. I want to show you what we're going to do today. First of all, in verses 9 and 10, he's going to, he's going to go back to that, that idea of the faithful saying, and it's the charge to be godly, and we'll talk about how that fits. And then in verse 11, he talks about teaching these truths to others, and in verse 12, he says, Timothy, you've got to be the example, and we can make some application from that. Well, as we look at this verses, there's a lot in there, and we, he just finished dealing with these false teachers. Point, he said, point them out, reject their teaching, pursue godliness. As we continue to continue in this passage, he's talking more and more about godliness and being an example. Notice he says uh, a trustworthy statement here. Look at verse 9. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Well, you know, we've seen this before. If you remember in chapter 1, verse 15, uh, Paul said this. He said, this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It is a trustworthy statement that Jesus came to save us. In chapter 3, verse 1, he gave another trustworthy statement. He says, it's a trustworthy statement if a man aspires to the office of overseer. So he said, it's a trustworthy statement if a person wants to to be like an elder. Well, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 9, he says, it's a trustworthy statement. By the way, there are five trustworthy statements, three in 1 Timothy, one in 2 Timothy, and one in Titus. Paul uses these to say that this is something you can count on. This is true. Notice what he says in verse 9. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Well, we'd say, what's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance? Well, what it is, is he's looking both backward to verse 8 and forward to verse 10. And here's what he talks about. Backwards, he looks back. Go ahead. He's looking backward and forward. Go to the next slide. And backwards, he's looking back at godliness. He says, godliness is profitable. If you remember verse 8, it says, bodily discipline is, is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. What he's saying is, this is a trustworthy statement. Godliness is profitable. Living a godly life. Living for the glory of God. Then in verse 9, he goes forward and talk. Go, I'm sorry, go back. In verse 9, he goes forward and says, pursue godliness. That's profitable. And look what he says, excuse me, verse 10, for it is this we labor and strive for. So in verse 9, is sort of the middle, 8 and 10, he goes back to verse 10 and says, godliness is profitable. He goes forward to verse 10 and says, this is something we ought to shoot for. And so the trustworthy statement is this, it is profitable for us to be godly people. That's what we ought to aim for, is to be godly men and women. That's the plan. Now, you remember something we talked about last week because he mentioned the same thing. And that is, godliness doesn't just happen. We don't just become godly. We don't just go through life, and as we go through the days, we get more and more like Jesus Christ. In fact, just the opposite happens if we're not careful. You remember we said this, if we are not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, we will unconsciously be conformed to this world. It will happen to you. You may say, well, I don't think it's happening to me. It's happening to you because you're not even conscious of it. If you're not on purpose deciding that you're going to live for Jesus Christ, that you're going to be godly, that you're going to make an impact, that you're going to know the Word of God, you're going to live out the Word of God, if you're not consciously deciding to do that, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. That's why Romans 12, he says, I beseech you, brethren, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He goes on to say, stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed. I want you to understand something. 
It is a trustworthy statement that godliness is profitable and we should shoot for that. It doesn't just happen. Look at the words that he uses in verse 10. For it is for this we labor and strive. The this that he's talking about is the, 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 the being godly. He's saying it is, it is good to try to be godly. It is something that we labor and strive for. Look at the word labor. You know, it's amazing. The word labor means to work to exhaustion. Now, not many times in my life have I worked to exhaustion, but there's a couple of times. One time I was doing, uh, helping a guy with a tree, and I had this axe, and we were trying to get this thing off. And I mean, I did that thing over and over and over and over. And by the, by the time we were through, I couldn't hardly, I, well, I couldn't even get my hands off the axe. You know how sometimes you do something so long, you just have to just peel it off. I was completely exhausted. That's what this word means. It means you need to exhaust yourself to be a godly person. The other word is the word is to strive and we get the word agony from it. It's agorazo. It has the idea of to struggle, to push yourself to strive. He is saying we should struggle, strive, push ourselves, work hard, do whatever it takes to be a godly person. So I want to raise a question for all of us in this room. Are we striving Are we making a major effort to be a godly person? Is this an issue for you? Is this something you've said, listen, this is what I want to do. I want my life to count for Christ. I want to be a godly person. Do you value godliness? Is it something that you said, I am making the decision that I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. I'm making the decision that it's going to cost me. And I'm making the decision to do that. You remember last time Paul gave that charge, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And we've said it over and over. Godliness does not just happen. Growth does not just happen. Just because you trusted Christ when you were, say, 18, and you're now 25, or when you were younger and, and you're older, just because time has passed does not mean you have become godly. It does not mean you have become more and more like Christ. It does not mean you have grown as a Christian. Growing as a Christian is a conscious decision that you decide to do, that you're going to get into the Word of God, you're going to know the Word of God, you're going to make application of the Word of God, you're going to continue to grow, you're going to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You are going to strive and labor to be a godly person. And these words are very strong words. They are very hard words. We must train ourselves to be godly. What do we do? Well, we study the Word of God. You know and apply the Word of God. We walk worthy of our calling. We walk by faith. We walk in light, love, and wisdom. Think about it. You study the Word. You know, we always study the Word on Sunday morning and Sunday school and Sunday night and and our CBI classes and all our small groups and things. We study the Bible. This issue is, are you individually on your own digging the Word of God and studying it on your own? Are you knowing and applying the Word of God? See, it's one, one thing to know the Bible. There are a lot of people that know the Bible, but the key to study the Word of God is application. We've got to know and apply the Word. We've got to walk worthy of our calling. We've got to live out who we are as children of God. It's a walk of faith and the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. We walk in light, which is purity. We walk in love, loving God and loving others. We walk in wisdom, knowing and applying the Scripture. That's what wisdom is, making application of truth. That's what we're going to do. And if we do that, we will be training ourselves to be godly men and women. You remember it says that Ezra purposed in his heart that he would study the law of the Lord, that he would practice it, and he would teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra purposed that he would do that. He made a decision, a conscious decision, that he would do those things. We have to make a conscious decision that we're going to grow. 
a conscious decision that you're going to live for Christ. A conscious decision to study the Word of God. That you and I set our hearts to be godly men and women. He says, labor and strive. I think of labor. Labor to know the Bible. Labor to apply the Bible. Labor to later to dig it out. And, and it is a decision based on our actions. And then to strive. To strive to, to impact others. To invest our lives in other people. So we can be used by God. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 says, take what you've been taught. You entrust it to somebody else. So they can turn around and teach others as well. It's a very powerful passage. He says, this is what we labor and strive for. I think if somebody asks us, are you laboring and striving to be a godly man? Are you laboring and striving to be a godly woman? What would you say? Are we just going through the motions? Are we just going through the world? Or are, is our life being counted for Christ? So here's some questions. Who are you going to live for? You're going to live for God who bought you, who saved you, as we talked about how he so loved the world that he saved his son, his son Jesus Christ, died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. Are you going to choose to live for the one who paid for your sins? Or are you going to live for yourself? Do we labor to be godly? Are we making the effort in God's power to be godly men and women? Now look what he says, the reason that we do this. He says in verse 9, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. What is that trustworthy statement? That godliness is profitable and this is what we strive and labor for. Because, why? Because we have fixed our hope on the living God. We fixed our hope on the living God. I like the way he says it. Because, you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of gods that people worship throughout the world that aren't living gods. They're not even gods at all. There's only one God. We fixed our hope on the real God, on the living God, on the true God that's spoken all into existence. I like how he says it. He says, for we labor and strive for this because we have put our hope in the living God. You know, the idea here is uh, hope is something in the Bible that is different than what we think about today. Sometimes we say, gee, I hope hope it doesn't snow anymore. I hope it's not too slippery so I can get to some place. We hope like, gee, I hope it doesn't rain. This word means an eager anticipation. It means it's for sure. We put our hope, our for sure, on the living God. We anticipate the future with Him. It is so amazing that He left the glories of heaven to become a person, to die for every one of us in this room, to pay for our sins, to rise from the dead, to ascend back to the Father. Seated at the right hand of the throne, All of us who have believed in Christ, the next event, he's going to come get us. That's called the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The very next event, there's no no signs, nothing has to be done. Jesus Christ could come in just the twinkling of an eye and we would all be gone. All of us who know Christ as Savior would be gone. That's our hope. The Bible also says that our hope is that he comes a second time to the earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we will rule with him on this earth for a thousand years. That's Revelation chapter 20. That's our hope. See, we want to live for Jesus Christ because we want to labor and strive because we fixed our hope on him. He's the living God. He describes him here as the living God. He has saved us. He uses us. He's coming back to get us.
In contrast to all false gods and idols, we have the living God. You know, most of you brought your Bibles today. You have in your hand the words from the living God. Can you imagine that? Like it's just a book. This is not a book. This is written revelation from the living God. He is almighty. He is sovereign. He is ruling. He is powerful. He is all loving. He will never leave us. He will provide for us every need. He has made us and he has bought us. That's who he is. We put our hope in the living God. We strive to be godly because our hope's in the living God. What a powerful statement. Now this next part is unique. Look what he says. We put our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Now sometimes people read this and they get confused and they say, what do you mean he is the Savior of all men? How could Jesus be the Savior of all men? What does this mean? I want you to understand that He is the Savior because what He has done, He died on the cross and rose again. He has paid for the sins of every person. 1 John 2, 2, He's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Hebrews 4, 9 says He tasted death for every person. Do you understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He took the sins of every human being and He has made it possible. He has paid for every sin. He is the Savior in the sense that He has provided a way of salvation for every human being. John 4.42 calls Him the Savior of the world. Luke 2.11 says, For born this day in the city of David is a Savior, Christ the Lord. Matthew 1.21 says, You shall call His name Jesus, because He shall save His people. Do you understand that Jesus Christ is the Savior, and He is the Savior of all men? That means He has provided a way for every human being to have eternal life. You understand that? That every human being who has ever existed and ever will exist, and who is existing now, Jesus Christ has provided a way of salvation. He is the Savior of all men. Well, are all people saved? Nope. Why? Because what does he say? Especially. This is how he puts it. In the Greek it says, most of all believers. See, salvation comes by faith. Jesus Christ is the Savior of all people because He has provided a way for every human being to be saved. But not every person is saved because the requirement to be saved is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be what? Saved. To believe in Jesus Christ and you have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Jesus is the Savior of all because He has paid for all sins, but salvation comes only by faith. So there are a lot of people who do not understand that Jesus Christ has provided the way of salvation for any human being and for every human being. He has provided the way. Whosoever will believe will not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever does not believe will be separated forever. I want to give you some truths. Think about this. 
God wants all people to be saved. Did you realize that? That's First Timothy. I've given you the verses. First of all, all these are from First Timothy. I put a lot of other verses beside them. But notice this. God wants all people to be saved. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. You understand that? Jesus Christ and God wants every human being to be saved. So what did he do? Christ died for every person. First Timothy 2, 6 says that he was the ransom for every person. First John 2, 2 says he's the satisfactory payment for everyone. We find in 1 Timothy 4.10 that Christ is the Savior of all. He's provided it all, and all who believe are saved. Especially, as he says, believers. Is that the greatest truth of all? That God wants every human being to have eternal life. So what did he do? He sent his son to die for every human being. He's the satisfactory payment. He is the Savior of all, and all who believe have eternal life. Wow. What does he say? This is a trustworthy statement. Deserving of full acceptance that godliness is very profitable. We need to strive for it. What are you striving for? What are you living for? If you're looking at things, you will be greatly, greatly disappointed. I told this story not too long ago. But I had a young guy that I was meeting with him, and his college guy, this has been about eight or eight, six or seven or eight years ago, and he came in my office. We started talking. I said, what do you want to do with your life? He said, here's what I want. I want to be rich. I said, really? He said, oh, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to make it. I said, you know, you may be rich, but you're going to live a very sad life. He said, what are you talking about? I'm going to be rich. I said, yeah, but see, riches don't satisfy. Things don't satisfy. In fact, the only thing that brings satisfaction... Is your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, and your relationship with your friends. It's relationships. It's not things. What are you striving for? What do you want out of life? Our society's mixed up. We worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. Where's our hope? It's the living God. Notice what Paul says. Now, he said, this is what we need to do. This is a trustworthy statement. Go after being a godly person. It's important. It's the key. And then he says in verse 11, he says, Timothy, prescribe and teach these things. Timothy, tell people this. Teach people. He's basically saying, command this. Teach people. This is what they ought to do. Notice, prescribe and teach. The word prescribe is, that's the same word that a doctor says, here, do this. Take this. He said, Timothy, tell them that they need to go after godliness. Being godly people. Teach these things to people. That's why as we go through the Scripture over and over again, we find that we're to be godly people, that we're to strive to be godly, that we're not to be conformed to the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we're to walk worthy of our calling, to walk in light and love, to, to, live our, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ over and over and over. That's the key. What are you doing with your life? What do you really want? What do you want? I mean, stop and think about it. You're never too young and you're never too old to make that decision to live for Jesus Christ. You know what he told Timothy? Here he says, prescribe and teach these things. Throughout this book, he said, instruct, point out, train, command and teach, devote, keep reminding. He said these things over and over in this little book. Now, we got one other thing I want you to see. And this is the charge to be an example. And what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to touch on this. Next week, the details. I just want you to get a little bit of this this morning. Next week, we get the details about being an example. 
Look at verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. He's talking to Timothy. But rather in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. He says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. I want to tell you this. There are some people in this room that are college students that I admire. I admire because they love Jesus Christ. They live for Jesus Christ. They know the Bible. They are growing. They're sharing their faith. They're impacting other lives. Some people may look at them and say, they're just a college student. They're just young. Maybe they're just a high school student. Let me tell you what. Don't let anybody look down on you because of your age. You be an example. And we can flip it around. Even though Paul's talking to Timothy about being young, we could say for all the middle-aged and older people, don't let anybody look down on you. Because you know sometimes in our culture, when a person gets old, they say, would you just sit over there and don't bother anybody and try not to drool? Right? Right? (laughs) Don't let anybody ever look down on any of you because of your age. You're never too old. You're never too young. You're just right. And what does he say to do? Let no one look down on your usefulness. Notice the end of the verse. Be an example. Show yourself as an example to those who believe. And the word example means a pattern. Show them what it's supposed to be like. Show them how to live. Show them how to live. He gives five areas, and we're going to touch on them next week. We're just going to read them this time. Look what he says. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity. Show yourself in his example. He says speech. That's what comes out of your mouth. Are we saying words that build up? Are we saying words that tear down? Conduct. That's how you live. You've got to be an example of how we live. You've got to be an example of what you say. Example of love. Loving God and loving others. Remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. As I have loved you, love others. Faith. That means faithfulness and trusting God. Either one means both. And last but not least, purity. You know what that word means? It means moral purity. It has the idea of sexual purity. He says to Timothy, and we can say it to all of us, we need to be an example of our culture of the idea of sexual purity. Because we are the examples. We're the different ones. Not we are different. Remember, don't be we are different. Be godly different. Because their Christians throughout history have become weird. And when the world looks at them, they go, who wants to be like that? And you know what we say? I don't want to be like that. Do you want to be like that? We want to be godly people who make an impact for Jesus Christ in all these areas. That's what we want to do. Well, we've seen the statement. Pursue godliness. That's a, it's a, he says this is, a, this is a very profitable thing. It's a trustworthy statement. Pursue it. And then he says, teach others. And he says, Timothy, be the example. So let me give you some application. We'll close quickly. Let's strive to be godly. That's the key. Let's labor. Let's work. Let's pursue it. Let's make it our goal. Decide this morning. You're going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to be a godly person. From this day forward, I'm going to, it doesn't just happen. I'm going to decide to be godly. I'm going to strive and labor to be godly because I've got my hope on the living God. Purpose in your heart what you're going to do. There's an old saying that says you can't cultivate a close walk with God by doing a tightrope walk with the world. You can't do it. You can't live in the world with God. You can't do it. You've got to decide. I'm just not going to, this is not going to be the thing to pull me anymore. I'm going after this. Walk worthy of your calling. Second one, let's put our hope in the living God. That's who He is. That's who He is. He's the living God. 
He died on the cross, paid for our sin, rose again. He's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only. He sins the entire world by grace we're saved through faith. He's our hope. We're looking for the blessed hope. The next thing is going to come get us. Put your hope in God. Don't put it in anything else. You'll be frustrated. The third thing. Teach others the truths of the Word of God. That's what, what Paul told Timothy. Prescribe and teach these things. Teach them the truth. You know the truth. You're studying the Scripture. You're digging it. You're understanding how things fit. Tell other people. There's a lot of people out there who don't have a clue what we're talking about. You tell them. And last but not least, realize we're examples. We're going to see more details on that next week. In fact, in verses 12 and 13 is what we're going to see next time. We're going to talk about being the example in those five things. And then we're going to talk about what are we supposed to do as a church when we gather together. He actually tells us what to do. You know, I don't mean this bad, but most churches don't do what he tells us to do. They just don't do it. And we've got verses that actually say, here's what I want you to do. So we'll look at that next week as well. There's a lot of things. Maybe strive to be godly men and women, teaching others, being examples as we look to our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Lord, we realize that we... We want to be godly. We want to strive to be godly. We want to, we want to labor and strive to be godly men and women. So, Lord, I pray that we do that. We know it's profitable that we discipline ourselves for godliness. It's a trustworthy statement. This is what we should do. And so, Lord, I pray for every one of us in this room, and myself included, that we'll be godly people, that we'll, we'll make the choices and decisions that we want to live for you. Lord, thank you that our hope is in the living God that we have the living God, the one who died and rose again, who gives us eternal life, the one who is the Savior, the Redeemer, the Provider, Protector. He is everything. Thank you, Lord, that we have him. Lord, may we help others know these truths. And then finally, may we live in such a way by our words and our conduct and our love and our faith and faithfulness and our purity that people can see that we're an example of those who belong to Jesus Christ. Lord, use us for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.